eighth episode of the Evolving Media Podcast, a podcast where we talk about how we best can approach the changing world of media, from TV to film, from esports to marketing and beyond, and how we as creators best can face new possibilities and challenges in order to thrive. My guest for this episode of the podcast is Lance Weiler. He might not need much of an introduction, but I'll introduce him anyway. He's the director of the Columbia University Digital Storytelling Lab since 2013. Wired magazine put him on the list of 25 people who are reinventing entertainment and changing the face of Hollywood. He has worked with a great number of organizations and companies and people, and he's always been at the forefront of where storytelling is heading. Today we're going to talk a bit about the project he was instrumental in launching last year, Frankenstein AI, using artificial intelligence in storytelling and learning from people and from the audience. We'll also talk about where he thinks artificial intelligence is heading in the world of media, and about what their next collaborative project, The Raven, really is all about. Welcome. Lance, thanks for being on this podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Simon. I'm excited to be here and congratulations on the new podcast. Thank you very much. Just first off, how has 2019 been treating you so far? Have you, is everything looking good? Yeah, things are off to a really wonderful start. Um, you know, had a nice kind of little bit of a recharge over the holiday break, which was nice. And, you know, very much looking forward to 2019. There's some interesting things that are emerging um, at the work that we're doing at the Columbia University School of the Arts Digital storytelling lab and uh, we're going to be expanding uh, some of our work with artificial intelligence this year so I'm very excited about that uh, there are so many things I could be talking to you about and that we could discuss from so many angles because you have such a vast experience but uh, I, I thought we were going to talk about namely artificial intelligence as you were just uh, telling briefly about because I think that's one field that might be quite uh, foreign to many listeners and feel you know but you, someone who's been working in that field and working with artificial intelligence and storytelling. So just as a first question, what made you start looking at artificial intelligence as a tool for storytelling? Well, I think that uh, the thing that drew me initially to artificial intelligence is this idea that it's so it's such a pervasive technology. It's ubiquitous. It's kind of all around us. And uh, a lot of the work that we've been doing uh, at the lab and that I've been doing outside of the lab has been looking at uh, how can I embrace emergent technology in an interesting way so it's part of the creative process. It's not so much uh, kind of a replacement to what I'm doing. It's it's maybe in some cases it's a tool and in, in other cases maybe it's a collaborator. So in looking at artificial intelligence, there's a lot of tension, a lot of friction there and I think I was drawn to that. I was interested in this idea of like, well, what does it mean to actually collaborate with a machine? What does that mean as, um, you know, are you giving up some degree of creative control? Uh, there, there's so many um, kind of unknowns. It, it, it drew me to it, right? It, it was this opportunity to do something that would allow for me stretching my, you know, my creative process in a way that I hadn't before. Uh, because in some regards, you know, collaborating with an AI is almost like you're kind of 
collaborating with a toddler. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it, it fail. You know, you, you can't get it to do certain things. It fails in ways that you don't expect that don't that defy human logic. And it, it succeeds in ways that defy human logic. And it's always kind of having temper tantrums, you know, and so it's an interesting collaborator in that sense, you know, and it it takes you to unexpected places. And I think what I, I've truly, you know, uh, loved in regards to this process of the last two years in particular is, um, this idea of the unexpected, you know, having to embrace ambiguity. I think ambiguity is something that, is all around us. And I think, you know, as we move from, you know, single broadcast to many to many and the possibilities of being able to personalize stories to individuals, but then do that at scale, AI just felt like it was something that would have a lot of benefit um, and would be something to experiment with. And so uh, that was, I guess, in there, it was really kind of a creative itch. Uh, and an interest, but then also it was very much aligned with the subject material that we were exploring and are exploring, which is Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which just felt like a wonderful kind of metaphor for artificial intelligence and an interesting way to start. What was our lab going to be like? What were we going to cobble together? You know, if we were making a monster made by many, uh, what would that potentially look like? Now, a monster made by many, that's the, that's the sort of like the tagline for Frankenstein AI as well. What was your approach to the project? What did you, how did you start developing it? Well, a lot of the work that I've been doing over the last couple of years, and I've been doing with collaborators like Nick Fortuno and Rachel Eve Ginsberg, um, and the lab at the lab in general, involves spending a lot of time kind of looking at the human experience. Um, and uh, so we do a lot that involves no technology initially. We do a monthly meetup group in, in New York, and uh, which is called the Columbia DSL meetup group. We have uh, upwards of about 2,000 members, and we've built a very collaborative space where people come in and out of a project. Frankenstein AI, a monster made by many, is a creative commons project, so it's kind of a share-alike commercial project. And it's an experiment in challenging ownership and authorship of stories. And so the way that we started with that was very similar to what we had done with a previous adaptation, immersive adaptation, which was Sherlock Holmes and the Internet of Things, which grew to about 2,600 collaborators in 60 countries and 180 self-organized events all over the world. So the format was almost like a creative system, you know, where a group of people come together. And so when I say a monster made by many, we start with a lot of kind of uh, a process that involves uh, some that borrows from design thinking. You know, we're kind of starting with an empathy phase. We're kind of working to define what we're doing, you know, shaping design questions and principles that we work from. And then uh, we start to ideate. And then from there, we start to uh, prototype. And we kind of repeat that process over and over and over again. But it's interesting because a lot of people always think that the technology is right there at the start. But for a lot of the work that I do both at Columbia and outside of it, uh, we really start with the human experience first. Mm. Um, And so that means like a lot of prototyping in terms of being able to kind of test things, 
using a lot of analog elements, you know, uh, that might be post-its, that might be, you know, cardboard, that might be, um, you know, anything else that we can get our hands on. But we really are very focused on the human experience. Um, you know, what somebody could be thinking, feeling and doing. Um, I found myself really drawn to that, you know, so we'll create kind of almost like a, a user flow or an experience, like a user journey for somebody. And then we'll map it and think about all, you know, go through it and think about it beat by beat. What's somebody thinking here? What's somebody feeling and what somebody's doing, you know, and then we'll, we'll then test that in the real world and come back and, and, and continue to iterate on it. So a lot of the work is very much driven from, uh, iterative design and rapid prototyping. Now, one thing that's, that one of your collaborators, I think it was Nick who said that you, Frankenstein also felt like a good uh, story to, to start evolving from because Frankenstein in the classic story was the first uh, one that, uh, that created something that could get away from its creator and and live a life of its own which is you know what your project also aims at which is also what many people aim for their stories to do today as well going viral as it as it were today but at the same time a lot of people dread the notion of their creations going out and having a life of their own and taking on directions that they perhaps couldn't foresee. So so what kind of mindset should we look at having when looking at these possibilities? Are we, you know, giving up authorship and, and what do we give it up for in that case? Well, I think that it's interesting because I find it not to necessarily be so um, black and white there's a ton of gray in there, right? Mm -hmm. And there's all kinds of really interesting ways in which you can work with artificial intelligence. Um, I think that there tends to be quite a bit of fear. Um, and so I think Frankenstein was a really wonderful kind of uh, source material to draw from because I think it was creating this situation of where you're, um, you know, to your point, you know, Victor Frankenstein is is, you know, he creates something that gets out of his, his control, but also some of the core themes within the work are really about isolation and connection. And in fact, uh, you know, Frankenstein's monster is a highly emotionally intelligent creature, very different from the universal depiction that we get later on where, you know, it's grunting and has bolts in its neck. And there was something about this idea of, well, what if, what if we can do something, you know, cause within the book, you know, cause we're really true to Mary Shelley's, you know, 1818 text and it was the 200th anniversary. And here's this amazing creative woman that arguably, you know, innovated and created science fiction. How could we celebrate that at the same time that we were challenging the notion of authorship and ownership of stories at the same time that we were kind of exploring what it was like to collaborate with the machine. And so it was a very layered kind of approach. Um, I think that there tends to be just a, kind of a knee jerk or a fear of automation. Um, I think what's interesting in, in kind of working with artificial intelligence, I've been amazed by the way that it's challenged me in terms of my creative thought process. Um, you know, taking me to places that I didn't expect. But we're not saying that the technology is writing the whole experience. If anything, the technology in this particular instance is really like a mirror that we're holding up so people can see humanity, right? It's like we're a mirror 
of we hold up that mirror and the technology is really kind of facilitating kind of a conversation between human beings. So in a sense, it's it's fueling connection. So um, our project is maybe a little bit different because Frankenstein AI, a monster made by many, doesn't have actors in it and it doesn't have a set story in it. It has a narrative conceit that, uh, you know, Frankenstein's monster has been wandering. Well, actually, the conceit is that, uh, you know, we, we imagine that Frankenstein's monster is an AI and it's been wandering the recesses, the dark recesses of the Internet in search of what it means to be human. And it's encountering a lot of uh, toxicity, polarization, extreme hate, and extreme love. And it's confused by what it's found. And so it decides that it's going to assemble people in the real world so it can observe and learn from them. And so uh, it's really kind of almost like a muse or a spirit. It's presenting these prompts or these questions that are making the participants stop for a moment and think, you know, and then uh, it's leading to these deep connections between those who are taking part in it. So it's interesting because it's a form um, and we're, we have an interesting function that we're exploring with it, right? Like, it, yes, there's uh, a level of entertainment to it. Yes, there's a level of awareness and learning that's associated with it. And yes, it's, it's part of a design research project that's intended to explore, uh, you know, machine human kind of interaction. Uh, but it's interesting because a lot of people, their initial responses, they tend to embrace dystopian views of technology and they tend to look and they say, oh, wow, my if it wasn't hard enough to be a creative already, if it wasn't hard enough to be a storyteller already, here mm -hmm. comes the automation. Right. Here comes the automation that's going to replace me as being creative. But there are these amazing kind of gaps that exist. And A.I. is not as far along as you think it is. You know, AI is, uh, it, it's great for narrow types of things. It's great for certain types of tasks. And, you know, down the road, it will continue to evolve. But now is a really wonderful time to be playing with it because you can help shape what it is and help shape the future of it. So, um, so I think in, in our experience, we've found it to be very um, a creatively rewarding kind of experience. And I'm really very happy and glad to have had the opportunity to step in it. A lot of our collaboration has been done with a gentleman named Hunter Owens. Hunter Owens was the machine learning engineer on the project. He's also a chief data scientist for the city of Los Angeles. Uh, you know, what we've learned in working with him and, and uh, Sarah Henry, who helped us early on with some of the algorithm design, is this, is this, um, uh, kind of recognition and development and, and, and finding a language with other collaborators. So the way that I would work with a production designer or a DP, now I have, you know, a machine learning engineer, or now I have somebody who's, you know, an algorithm designer. So it's just, it's just kind of a shift in some of that thinking and it's trying to find a common language around it. And once you start to find that common language and once you play with it, you start to realize like, Oh, okay, that's what it is oh, all right, well, maybe I could use it this way or maybe I could use it that way. And it, it becomes less, it, it becomes something that, yes, I'm not saying that there aren't things that are concerns about where artificial intelligence are headed. I'm just saying um, it's much easier to fall into a dystopian narrative that's projected when you haven't touched it, when you haven't experienced it, when you haven't worked with it. Um, and, uh, and, and maybe we don't have to be victims 
of the future. Maybe we can actually be architects of it. You said earlier that it was like working with a toddler to work with the AI. I can understand that perfectly. But did you then feel like a, you know, a parent who looks at the toddler who starts taking their first steps? Did you feel as proud as such a parent when Frankenstein AI started moving on its own? Well, I think that uh, yes, in certain respects and terrified at the same time. I think uh, this project was so much on the edge. You know, what's interesting about that analogy with walking is, you know, if when, when when a child is learning to walk, you always see somebody encouraging them, right? Like if they fall down, you know, they'll say, you know, oh, it's okay. Here, get up again. Come this way. And they'll distance themselves a little bit further from the child, right? Because you're always kind of encouraging it. And I think that um, when you're working with technology, there are so many places that it breaks and so many places that it falls down and so many times that it can feel incredibly defeating that you just have to remind yourself, it's okay. It's okay. Okay, let's reset. Let's figure this out. And I think a lot of the challenges that we face with this work is that it's hitting up against a lot of the tensions that exist in the way that it's being exhibited and the way that the challenges that it faces in terms of scaling. And then also the challenges that we face in terms of the educational side for an audience to interact. You know, um, we eventually when we started Sherlock Holmes and the Internet of Things, we rooted it in a theme. There's like four core principles that we always use at the lab and I bring them into my own work. And I think they're very valuable. One is this idea of looking at a trace, you know, how can somebody find themselves within an experience, you know, and when they can find some part of themselves, they become that much more engaged. The second is this idea of agency. What is it like to have agency for one versus agency for many? And how do you balance those things? The third is a thematic frame. You see that at work within Frankenstein AI or within Sherlock Holmes and the Internet of Things. We're taking something familiar and we're mixing it with something that's unknown. Artificial intelligence is a storytelling device. The Internet of Things is a storytelling device. And the last principle, which is really valuable, is this idea of serendipity management, not over-designing what we're making, leaving blank space for things to happen, for people to bump into each other. In the case of when that AI is kind of getting up and trying to walk and we're trying to help it and then we're seeing it make its way into the world, what I really loved about the whole project was there was so much that was unknown. You know, a lot of the times we would finish the code, we'd finish the, you know, we'd lock code right into going into what we were doing, right? And we wouldn't know what was going to happen because the AI, it was taking the input in the moment, right? So it was learning over the course of the Sundance Film Festival. You know, it started you know, it started melancholy and angry when we started Sundance, right? Because we had trained it on Mary Shelley's corpus. So of course it was melancholy and angry. But by the end of the festival, it had become vulnerable and open um, and connected. And so, but we didn't know that until we were there. We couldn't train it fully until we were there. And so that toddler was constantly kind of waddling on those legs that are rubbery, that aren't quite working. And you're like, oh my God, there's a really sharp object over there. Is it going to fall on it? You know, and you're trying to help it, but then you're like, okay, I can't really 
create the, the, you know, like I can't put bumpers on everything. I just have to let it go out into the world. You know, I can't put it in a bubble. And so I think that that was electric, you know, it was, there was, it was, I found myself drawing on techniques that I use as a director. You know, I came out of, uh, filmmaking, you know, as a writer director and found myself leaning into improvisational work that I had done as a writer and director found myself kind of, you know, just having to try to set as much of the scene as I could try to create a safe space for it and then letting it happen. And, you know, it might fail, it might succeed, but being prepared, uh, to, uh, to kind of roll with that. You have a lot of experience and you said that you drew on uh, filmmaking, improvisation experience, etc., and so forth to get, uh, this AI experiment or project to work as smoothly as possible. Listeners of this podcast might not have all of that experience to draw on. And I know that there are quite a lot of people who are interested to start looking into new technologies and how to incorporate them in their production, in their development, in their distribution. But as a general advice, what's your what's your suggestion? Where should people actually start? What's what's the first best first steps to take? Well, I think with um, AI, there's there's a number of ways that you can start. Um, There are some simple tools that exist in and around IBM Watson that you can use online um, that will allow you to do tone analyzation. It's a really interesting analytical tool. Um, Run Dexter, if you go to rundexter.com or on SQL, Com, those are two tools that you can use for free uh, to create uh, chatbots. Um, I'll often have my students at Columbia University uh, create chatbots. Um, it's a good first step to interact with conditional statements in and around an AI. There's some really interesting things you can do with Alexa skills now. Alexa skills are uh, there's development environments that you can use that are very friendly that might not even need code. Um, is so you can develop some Alexa skills and you can push them directly to Alexa and interact with it. Uh, mm. So uh, some people have used that for storytelling, uh, creating uh, kind of interactive stories. So there are a number of, uh, of simple ways to kind of get, engage and, and get up and running. And everything that I just mentioned, you can do for free and you can do online. And then I think some of the other things that are really fascinating are, are really just thinking about how conversations work um, and thinking about conversational kind of design because AI offers up some really interesting opportunities. Yes, you could, you could do something that made use of branching narratives and, uh, had an air, you know, a level of personalization to it, or you can do things that are, uh, participatory, uh, you know, similar to the example of what we did with Frankenstein AI, where, uh, people are coming together and, um, the experience is happening in the moment. Uh, so there's a wide range there, right. You know, from very calculated and planned things to things that are happening and emerging. But I think most importantly, not to be afraid of it. Um, and just to kind of dabble with it because the reality of the situation is it's all around us. It's flying airplanes. It's, uh, it's involved in the recommendation engines and, uh, the voice activation that we're doing on our mobile devices, uh, to how some people are, are, are using, you know, like an Amazon fire, fire stick, you know, where you're talking into a, a, a remote it's used, uh, in, you know, in, in so many different ways, it's all around us. It's not going away. It's only going to escalate. Um, and so, 
if you can take the time to kind of experiment with it and just immerse yourself in it, I think it, it'll help you as a, as a creative. One final question, Lance. 2019, you said it's a, it's a year of projects and it's a year that's looking up. And I know that you're working on, on some, some special things. For instance, you have a, a project with about Edgar Allan Poe called The Raven. Could you just, as a final in piece of information, tell me a little bit about what that project is about? Sure. Um, at the Columbia University School of the Arts Digital Storytelling Lab, we, we tend to do uh, programs, prototypes, and build community. Uh, and our newest prototype uh, that we're exploring this year is kind of like this idea of the year of Poe. It's the 170th anniversary of his death. And what we're doing is we're exploring a retelling and reimagining of some of Poe's work, starting with The Raven. Uh, but we'll be building, similar to what we did with Frankenstein AI and Sherlock Holmes and the Internet of Things, we'll be building a kind of a creative system around it. So we'll be actively sharing uh, what we learn as we go, uh, which is something that we do around all the prototypes that we make. We'll be inviting storytellers, game designers, makers, hackers, anybody who is interested, uh, creatives from all over the world to participate. Uh, and it will culminate in uh, with a special uh, premiere at the New York Film Festival in the Convergence section in October in a special offsite. Um, so we'll be doing that in a really amazing 18th century uh, secret location in New York that's a, a, a four-story brownstone that everything in it is from the 1800s. Uh, so the idea over the next, uh, you know, whatever that is, the next 10 months, I guess, is to come together and uh, use Edgar Allan Poe's work as a jumping off point and explore uh, what is it like to step into the mind of one of America's uh, prominent writers um, and what is it like if you were to explore Edgar Allan Poe's mind. And so we're going to play uh, quite a bit with spatial audio and augmented audio within it. And it's something that uh, I'm very excited about. Lance, thank you so much for being a part of this uh, podcast episode and uh, have a great continuation to 2019. Well, thank you very much, Simon. And, and also thank you so much for To, for doing this. You know, I know this builds off of the work that you had done previously, and I think it's wonderful to have people out there capturing the the creative practice, you know, capturing what it is to try to wrestle with these new emergent technologies. But in the end, it really is about human human contact. And so I think your podcast is a really wonderful way to do that. So thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Lance. And yeah, we all try to get our stories out there and to connect and engage with audiences. I mean, there are so many opportunities, so many different ways to achieve success today. So I think it's imperative that we learn from each other and find out what's possible, what works, what can be done. Um, with that, again, thank you, Lance, for being on this episode with me. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Okay, bye.